Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Uh, welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And I'm Jenny. I'm also a person in long-term recovery. And today we have... Jennifer Turk, person in long-term recovery. And Jennifer's here to talk to us today about CPRS, Certified Peer Recovery Specialist. Okay. Uh, what that is, what all that stuff means, what peers are good for, how to become one, all that fun stuff. So... Jennifer. Uh, she's also my amazing wife, and she's been a big supporter in our podcast, so thank you for that. Well, thank you, Billy, <laughs> for having yeah. the podcast. So tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into this work of peer recovery specialist, and then, you know, how you've been involved in that for, I don't know how many years now, <laughs> yeah. a lot of years now. Yeah, so... You know, I have had a lot of jobs in my recovery and in my life, lots of jobs, a lot of administrative assistant jobs, tattooing, um, done all kinds of crazy things in my life. And it was in between jobs that one of our friends, uh, Scott Tice, said, Jennifer, you ought to, you know, go get this job as a peer at the local health department. They're hiring people in recovery and uh, to help people, and you ought to do this. It wasn't paying a lot at all. I applied. It took a month. I was still kind of in between jobs. Um, and I said, sure, you know, yeah, I'll do this. Um, wasn't really sure what it was. I thought I was going to be telling my story, you know, because that's what I've done in the 12-step fellowship forever. So I thought I would just be telling my story everywhere uh, like I do in the 12-step meetings. But it's been years now, and I have not told my story yet. <laughs> um, you know, getting that job at the health department, and, you know, they were like, we're using people in recovery to help people access treatment and be supportive because studies show when people are engaged with other people in recovery, the outcomes are dramatically improved. People stay engaged with treatment they have long, longer term, like f better feelings about treatment and recovery and they stay engaged. So we're going to do this. Um, the state is pushing it. So they had me uh, talk to people at the hospital. We went to the hospital. I was with, in the homeless encampments. I went to family involvement meetings with social services for people who were trying to get their kids back went to the jail. I sat in outpatient groups um, and helped people when they came into the health department go through orientation paperwork and people who needed to go to detox and help coordinate like treatment navigation. And what they taught me was like they had me go to a bunch of classes like Recovery Coach Academy and um, other things to, to learn that the expert in the room when it came to recovery. Now this is taking me some time to figure all this out and have words for it. Uh, but at the time, I'm like, what am I doing here? And they're like, well, we just want you, you know, to give your experience in, you know, as needed ways in 
where it matters. Um, so like in outpatient, the outpatient groups, if things came up about, well, how do you, what does it look like to change people, places and things? And then I would talk about what it was like for me and how I've seen other people do it. Um, when I went into the hospital, you know, I'd be like, first the doctors and stuff would have to be okay. Ask the person if they're okay with a peer coming in, a person in recovery to talk to them. And if they said yes, then I would go in and I'd just be like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> you know, um, I'm a person in recovery in the local community. Just want to let you know that there's a lot of us out here. We go to meetings. We help each other. If you ever want to go, uh, here's, you know, information. Um, and just try to connect with people as um, an individual person, you know, not like you're a clinician or a doctor or counselors, just kind of like friends you know community members and um it really worked in a lot of ways it it was amazing to see so in like the family involvement meetings with social services as like the advocate to s sit next to somebody and talk about how we are capable of loving and taking care of children even though we might have drug charges and to give us a chance you know um you know learning about that stuff at the health department, that's what peers are. Uh, I think in Maryland, what I found out, so that was back for me in 2012. And then I found out through all the trainings and stuff is that peers are people with lived experience, family members of people uh, who might have a mental health or substance use disorder or um, an ally, uh, an ally that understands the resources and supports the recovery movement but it's been going on in Maryland for a long time like since the 80s with on our own the on our own mental health advocates they've been using peers um, people with lived experience to help other people who have you know serious mental illness and how to be supporting and support each other in recovery so they've been doing it for a while there's like right now there's I think there's an on our own or on our own affiliate in every county in the state. But the substance use recovery peer stuff, I think, came more out of the overdose death crisis. You know, when um, the health department brought in peers because, you know, the, of the overdose death crisis, that's what I think it was. And, and what I found out that when I was sitting talking with them, they didn't understand the recovery community at all. This health department, um, which helped me when I was an adolescent. So in my recovery story, you know, I had gotten arrested a bunch of times. And the last time I got arrested, I had to go to a counselor at the health department. And it was an adolescent counselor who actually had lived experience, but they wouldn't call him peers. He was just a counselor who also went to meetings and he believed in me and got me into treatment and I really believe that the health department is part of my you know the reason that I'm I'm doing so well but I mean because I got 33 years now but I never went back to the health department when I got like five years to say hey you guys thank you I'm doing good and nobody ever knocked on my door when I got 10 years and said Jennifer you're doing so great what happened and who did it you know so it wasn't so when I got back to the health department with 20-some years, and I was like, oh, wow, you guys don't know that there's, like, meetings around here full of 
people in recovery that are like hundreds sometimes of people that have decades, you know, in recovery. And they're just like, no, they only see the beginning. They only see our tragedies, our, our you know, our, when we're in jail or need treatment or things are falling apart, but they don't get to see all the success stories that they were a part of. And that I thought, man, you guys really need to see this. But it gave them a um, perspective, I think, that is recovery real? Does it really happen? Where do all these people go that they, <laughs> you know? And um, it's one of my favorite stories because it's just ridiculous if you're a 12-step member of, of um, NA. So they were like, one day they brought me in because there's like all this methadone, Suboxone and stuff. They're trying to get people on it and, and be more accepting of it because people are dying not being on it so one of the lead guys over there brought me in and is like jennifer we really need the community to come down off their stance on this abstinence thing could you meet with the president of the local <laughs> na and and have a conversation with them and i'm like oh dude you just don't know at all do you it's like there's no president and they're not going to listen to me anyway <laughs> But it was like the gap between the people getting people into treatment and people in recovery was so big. Um, so, you know, they actually really leaned in with bringing people in recovery to come be peers to bridge that gap. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that peers do is bridge that gap. But anyway, talking about peers. Well, that's kind of shocked me. You were telling me you joined the Department of Health, like you said, 2012-ish. I mean, 12-step fellowship's been around for like 80 plus years, and they're just finding out like, hey, community helps these people. Like, Well, I think they referred to a lot of 12-step fellowships forever, but they just didn't know how successful they were. And they probably only see the people that fail at the 12-step fellowships and end up back in the health department mm. for some reason or another. Mm. Like if, if you go and you're successful at your 12-step fellowship or your program, you don't usually go back to the health department for drug counseling or treatment. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. they only see the failures yeah, <laughs> like, or the repeat offenders, you know, Hence. or the people that come back and say, well, I tried that. It didn't work. Yeah. If you didn't notice, uh, Jason couldn't be here with us today. He had a family obligation and he will be back with us on the next episode. So tune in next week and you'll get to hear Jason. And if he's your favorite person on here, you can skip this episode. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, the mental health peers have been around for a while. Now they're using substance use peers. And it's, you know, the recovery community, when it comes to substance use recovery with the AANA, Celebrate Recovery, Al-Anon, Naranon, all the things, it's pretty vibrant and um, alive, but still anonymous in a lot of ways. Um, so anyway, peers, Maryland here, um, started to certify people to become peers, I think in 2013. And the reason that I think they did that was because um, there had to be a way of standardizing, you know, what is expected of a peer. So somebody couldn't just come in and be like, yeah, I got 25 years in recovery. Sure, hire me. And then they're all like ethically wrong and using and, you know, so you know, the state was like, we're going to certify. And we were not the first state to do so. I know in Georgia and Pennsylvania, they have um, statewide systems of peer certification. Um, some states just certify mental health peers. 
some certify substance use peers, some do both. Maryland does both, um, substance use and mental health peers, all under one category, and they call that behavioral health. You know, so to be certified in Maryland, you have to have two years of verifiable recovery. That means somebody out there is going to verify that you actually do have that time in your recovery pathway as you say what it is. Um, and you have to kind of write a statement about what that is, what that looks like for you, um, you know, and have a couple of uh, verifications on that. Um, plus, you have to take 46 hours of classes that are not counseling classes. These are uh, peer recovery specialist classes. And then you have to have 500 hours in the role of a peer that can be verified by a supervisor, um, whether you're volunteer or working in it. Then you have to take a class, a test, not a class, a test, um, which is watched over, you know, you're go to a place and you actually you know, complete this test. Um, you is have the class online? So some of the classes are online. So there's a lot of classes that make up that 46 hours that you can choose from, um, whether it's Recovery Coach Academy or, um, you know, uh, Depression and Bipolar Alliance uh, training. It's all on the website of the Maryland Addiction and Behavioral Health Professional Certification Board's website. <laughs> and it'll tell you the classes that, and some of them are virtual and some of them are um, in person. And you have to get all these pieces, though, of your application together. Um, you have to have your, be a high school graduate or get your GED. And then you send all this stuff in with $125. You get your test. You take your test. You pass your test. Now you're a certified peer for two years. And then you'll have to be recertified after two years um, by taking, I think it's 20 mm -hmm. more CEUs and uh, paying some more money. And a CEU is just like classes? What? Yeah, so a CEU is a um, continuing education ah. unit, CEU, which is um, there's so many you have to have of these and that these classes will provide. That's awesome. Five, 500 hours seems like a lot. Yeah, it is. It is but a lot. you can do peer work without being certified, correct? Like Absolutely. This, this title of peer is kind of general at the moment, I guess. So you can get a peer job without being certified, but there's benefits to being certified? Yeah, so you can, you know, there's, the demand for peers is super high, super, super high. Um, the demand for good peers that really do have recovery, some training. If you have any training under your belt, you're already head and shoulders over everybody who is applying for peer jobs. Because peers work in hospitals, jails. They work with the cops on some of the lead uh, teams, which is um, law enforcement diversion teams. Um, they now work in drug courts. Uh, they're inpatient treatment, outpatient treatment. They're everywhere. Um, because the evidence proves, evidence shows that um, having a peer increases engagement and long-term outcomes. And uh, so there's peers in Maryland are grant funded a lot of times. So um, you'll have to apply for a grant or be a government agency to employ peers unless you are a business uh, treatment organization that you want peers because it is improving your outcomes. So you're going to take a piece of your own profit margin to pay for the salary of peers. Other states, they are 
insurance reimbursable in some states. So in Maryland, in the in the beginning of 2023, Medicaid is going to pay um, for peer services reimburse organizations that use peers. I think it's um, it's a rollout. So I think in 2023, it's only in um, MAT clinics, you know, medication assisted treatment clinics, and um, maybe inpatient treatment. I might be getting that one wrong. And then they'll roll out more Medicaid reimbursement, uh, like in government agencies maybe or outpatient treatment centers or in hospitals or whatever. So that's why the demand is even going higher because now there's a way for private organizations to employ peers and not have it out of their own pocket. Now, will they be Medicaid reimbursable for non-certified peers or just certified peers? I think the way... Or is that not clear yet? The <laughs> way that they say the reimbursements, they have to be certified right. by this Maryland Addiction and Behavioral Health Certification Board. Um, you'll have to be certified through them. But they might... I don't know if they'll do a lower reimbursement if they're not quite certified because they're in their... A lot of jobs will say, we, we're going to hire you uncertified, but you have to be certified within the first six months or one year of employment. Right. So, mm-hmm. so the, the benefits to being certified, besides obviously you're getting additional training and education, but you're also, you make yourself basically more employable and worthy of a higher salary. I don't know how you say that. You make yourself, yeah, worthy of a higher salary. Just like as if you were to get a degree in anything from college, you're going to increase you know, your salary demand. So yeah, people are going to want they right now it's a real high demand throughout the state for peers that even know anything about certification. <laughs> right. If you even know what that is, uh, that's going to be a big win. So a lot of places now are bringing people in and saying, you don't have to be certified yet, but we expect you or want you to be certified within a certain amount of time. And probably they'll pay or reimburse are the classes free or they cost money or they cost money for most, in the most part. I mean, there are some organizations like Voices of Hope that provide the trainings for free because, and we do that because we're nonprofit, and plus we believe that peers are a part of the solution to the addiction and overdose crisis that uh, the country faces. So, you know, we're like, let's provide these for free to help people who are in recovery overcome barriers to becoming peers. I mean. It's not the best paying job in a lot of places, but like if you get hired at the health department, you know, what you do get is a a job with a pension and really good benefits. You just don't get a lot of money. Uh, That is the downside of peer work. But more and more people are paying higher for peers because they're proven to be so invaluable. Um, But I just want to point out in other states, they don't even have uh, certification. Some states are so behind with the peer thing uh you know hopefully though i think it's going to you know samsa which the substance abuse mental health services administration has been pushing out peers more and more and more over time and that's a federal program right yep and because they do a lot of the funding they're saying that um to get the funding for a lot of these grants uh you got to include peers people with lived experience um, it's also part of a trauma-informed care approach. Uh, so a lot of you know places are talking about how trauma is a is at the core of a lot of our issues, and uh, you know having your organization incorporate trauma-informed care. Uh, there's some things you can do, 
And one of the things is to have peers available for people to meet with and talk to and get support from. Yeah. And so if I understand right, you know, you said some of the ways you got introduced to peer work and and what that role kind of looks like. But in general, for people trying to enter treatment, the peer is someone that can kind of help you advocate through some of the I don't know what you want to call it, the maze of accessing treatment, accessing resources, but that isn't like an authority figure or like a parole person or a a social worker or whatever. They're like a fellow, you know, for lack of a better word, like a fellow traveler that's, you know, also in recovery that's going to help you navigate since they have some experience in that area. Yeah. Yeah, they. that's right. Exactly it. You know, it's like we know the resources um we know what it's like to be in the beginning not knowing anything being scared and just having that person with you that's been through it um that understands what it feels like and can just give you options help you figure out the options not tell you what to do and how to do it and also kind of advocate alongside you in case you feel like you're not being heard it it's really been beneficial for a lot of people. Yeah. This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. And that's, I guess, what I was thinking with, like, that's where the ethical training and a lot of the possible issues with people that aren't really trained up on, you know, the certification process, like the job of a peer isn't to go in and tell someone, hey, I did this and you need to do this and this is what you got to do. And if you're not going to do this, then I'm not going to help you. It's to be like an advocate or a or a support to help them figure out their path. Yeah, a lot of the training is actually about recognizing and honoring multiple pathways of recovery. You know, so a lot of peers will come to the work saying, oh, I'm just going to sponsor all these people. And it's like, well, nope, you're not a sponsor. Uh, You can't be one, in fact, to anybody that you serve. But you can help people find sponsors if that's what they want, because you're expected to know the recovery community and have connections in, in the community and know about all the different fellowships and treatment options and know that uh, everybody's different. One size does not fit all. And that can really challenge people who come to this work, especially initially. 
Um, you know, you take somebody who's like hardcore, you know, NA, and then you're like, okay, well, you're going to talk to people and help them get connected to AA and celebrate recovery in all paths and even medication or, um, you know, church. And uh, there's some training that has to go along with that. Right. <laughs> for sure. well, and I think for most of us, that's, you know, at least for me and a lot of people that I talk to, like, you get clean, you get into recovery, and you're like, man, I'm going to go help everyone I know, you know, that's also struggling and just tell them they just do exactly what I did, and they'll be fine. And that's not really true. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know. So Voices of Hope came as a, I guess, a connection of peers or, or organization of peers to try to connect the recovery community to treatment resources. And what is that? Yeah process been like <laughs> wow oh yeah yeah that's what exactly what happens when i was at the health department the dude who runs the place well the deputy dude um i was like jennifer did you know there's these <laughs> recovery community organizations um throughout the country um you know we're, we're going to be showing this anonymous people movie mm. Throughout all the different towns of our county, and we watch the anonymous people movie. If you haven't watched it, please do. It's probably at your local library. In that movie, it showed people in recovery and twelve steps, and family members and the church people um, coming up and out of anonymity to advocate for the rights of people in recovery and for the rights of people who use drugs. Because if we don't do it, somebody else is. And who else is saying they are the recovery community is people who are profitizing off addiction. Oftentimes it's treatment organizations. They're like, yeah, we're recovery community because the recovery community is quiet and, and we're not saying anything. We're just minding our own business while we watch people go to jail for, um, you know, longer than people who molest kids. And we see, you know, people suffer and try to get into treatment organizations that die on the street cold because there's a, a three-week waiting bed for I mean a waiting period for a treatment bed that we stay silent when people are ashamed they're um, put on Facebook you know when they commit crimes and to try to get drugs and they're just shamed and and you know lots of things and we stay silent, and then there's some people who choose not to because um, people's lives are depending on it, and if we don't, who will? So there were a couple of people who were peers or people who wanted to be peers. There were some family members who um, lost their loved one to addiction and were pissed off about the way that the system worked when they tried to get their loved one help. It was horrific so we started meeting every wednesday and we called ourselves you know we made a vote and it was voices of hope i think there was like five of us maybe and we just met every wednesday saying well what do we want to do there was like four things that we decided we wanted to do one was we needed to make syringe exchange legal in cecil county um knowing you know seeing what people were using drugs with is disgusting and they were getting diseases and, and it's like what the heck why is this only legal in Baltimore City and Washington County of all places so we wanted to do that we wanted to have a 24-7 recovery community center where people could go and hang out and talk to each other because we we all felt like we knew what it was like 
at two in the morning early in recovery and just need somebody to talk to so we didn't go back out. A place where meetings could be held, big ones and events um, like soda bars and, you know, we, you know, pool tables is what we Im- Im- imagined. And then the third thing we wanted was to have an in-county detox because we don't have one and we still don't. And then the other thing was we wanted um, young people in recovery to have mentors and supporters to turn to that were safe. Oh, we've seen a lot of young people go into the fellowships and um, be hurt. Uh, so we wanted to try to do something to create a system of safety for new people. And so, yeah, so that's how it kind of started. And then, you know, in 2018, we got our first grant and the rest has been history. But it's all about peers. One of our approaches, all right, if we can talk people into coming out of anonymity and then, you know, help train them and actually help them get good jobs, Oh, man, the system will really change. And come to find out that's the hope of the feds. They're like, if we empower all these people in recovery to use their voice and change the system, the systems will be changed, that people will be helped. And um, and we've seen that, you know, it's it's been really cool. What's the difference between a, um, a peer and a recovery coach? Because one of the websites you cited was recovery coach something, something. So a recovery coach, um, sometimes you'll hear those words, peer recovery specialist. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for a job, you look up peer recovery specialist. It could be peer um, recovery support specialist, um, peer support specialist, recovery support specialist, okay, and recovery coach. So in essence, they're the same thing, but with a recovery coach to be kind of like certified, it just means that you completed a 30-hour class called Recovery Coach Academy, and um, that's all. You know, you might have done other things, but you're not a certified peer recovery specialist that's taken more classes and did that 500 hours in the role and got the test and have verified uh, recovery. You've As a recovery coach, you might have just completed that Recovery Coach Academy is 30 hours. Because I've heard that any old dude can just come forward and be like, I'm a recovery coach, like me, Jenny. I could just be like, I'm a recovery coach now. Yep. You know, so you don't have to get the certification, but it sure looks nicer if you do. Right. That's accurate, right? Yeah, I think most places know that anybody can take Recovery Coach Academy and they're kind of like looking a little deeper um, because people have been burned, organizations have been burned by someone just saying, yeah, I'm in recovery. I've taken Recovery Coach Academy, and I'm a recovery coach. I see my certification from when I completed my class, but that doesn't mean you're, you know, you've had the ethical training or that you're even verified that you have that recovery you say you do. Right. So, you know, like this 500 hours of service, can that be like sponsorship? Mm-mm. No. Okay. It has to be in the role of a peer in an organization that uses peers and yet you're supervised by somebody who is a registered peer supervisor through the MABPCB, that Maryland Addiction and Behavioral Health Professional Certification Board. You have to take a class to be a registered peer supervisor um, and work in an organization that's in your supervising peers. And if you want to be a peer, you have to do your 500 hours in the role underneath the super one of those registered peer supervisors so you pretty much have to get a job someplace or volunteer yep 
Okay. Yeah. Like, to, to commit to an organization if this is like the path you want to take. Yeah. Which is why most places are like, you can be certified after we hire you. It's okay. You okay. Know? Yeah. Because it's hard for people to, but Voices of Hope, we have um, a whole training program where you might work somewhere that doesn't have a registered peer supervisor and through a MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding, you can do that work with that organization and we'll provide the supervision so that you can get your 25 hours of supervision <laughs> over that 500 hours in the role. <laughs> it's complicated. So that's why we brought in community health worker. Community health worker is a certification that you can get uh, that doesn't have a recovery time requirement. What it does have is a uh, 100 hours of training, 40 hours internship, and a 100 question test. So you know, if somebody's newer in recovery, we often suggest go for the community health worker and uh, get that underneath your belt. And then, you know, so you're still working on your two years to take the CPRS. Do you have to be abstinent for these, for a peer role? No. Okay. Mm -hmm. Who judges that? Like your recovery is what you say it is. Mm -hmm. um, in your application, you just have to be able to describe it. You know, what is it? How do you maintain it? Who verifies it so you can be on medication you can be in mental health recovery you know uh, it's um a process of change you know that you're involved with and that you've been involved with for at least two years it's verified what can't a peer do hmm. a peer cannot be a sponsor a peer cannot be a counselor a peer should not be a pastor while they're in a peer role you know those are the crossing of the streams so you have to stay out of any other dual role nice ghostbusters reference yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so those are the things peers can't do um they need to know their role they know their lane and stay it they can't uh, be a doctor they can't suggest uh, medications or legal advice you know but they can help people look at the options and talk about how they feel and what they feel like you would want to feel how do you feel that your life, what your life needs to be? Um, everybody, like you're trained, everybody's the expert in their own lives. And we're just trying to help people unfold that and whatever that looks like and then help connect them to the resources to make it happen. And it's pretty cool. Did, none of us had peers though, because you guys have double digit sobriety. I think that the counselor that I was engaged with was a peer. Um, he was doing a dual role, but they didn't call it peer back then. Yeah, and I don't, I don't remember exactly. I've had counselors that were in recovery and counselors that weren't. Um, but even that, I'm sure they were more just representative of their particular pathway of recovery. They probably were not educated in all these other ways. Yeah, that was mine. Yeah, like so, I started in AA, but there was no peer. It was just hanging out with my twelve step friends. And then I do recovery Dharma now. We have, I don't know, we just, I guess, some people call them like Dharma buddies. We just support each other. That's like a peer, you know, like we, we're friends with each other. We talk about how we can apply Buddhism to our recovery, but we don't, we don't use the word peer. And we're certainly not certified. <laughs> that's just, that's I program think, specific. Yeah, yeah, I think the difference too is that a peer is a service relationship. Um, even though we're more equal than mm -hmm. any other, it's still service relationship. It's about the person that I'm serving. If it ever becomes about me and that person, uh, then we're probably friends, which happens. 
but I need to step away from the peer role and uh, tell my organization that, hey, we're, we're friends now. Because that happens. Like, I can meet somebody in the hospital or the jail, and they if they choose to go to the 12-step fellowship that I'm in, uh, and they're doing it, and I'm doing it, and we're seeing each other, and we're, you know, we're probably going to grow old together, and that's okay in our recovery community, but I probably shouldn't be their peer anymore. I'll need to tell my organization if that person's still involved in the service relationship of my organization uh, that they need an, another peer to be assigned because the boundaries are super important. Like if, as a peer, if I'm your peer, there's a service uh, relationship. You're a recipient of services. It doesn't mean I'm better than you or anything, but it's about you. But sometimes I benefit too because we're still growing in recovery together. That's the mutual kind of magic of peer work but at the end of the day i have a responsibility um to you're still you. a paid re- paid professional in essence that has a role to serve that person yeah or even volunteer yeah. it's the boundaries or yeah, volunteer. yeah. boundaries the word i was thinking of too is that in the training because mm-hmm. that's lots of boundaries no. yeah because i mean training. it took me several years to you know two years was not enough to Two years of abstinence was not enough to teach me about boundaries and recovery. I needed more than that. Yeah. I think we all still do. <laughs> I yeah. mean, yeah. Well, and, and so if I understand kind of in general how peers work, um, let's say a, a parent or a family has a kid that is struggling with addiction. They want to try to get them into treatment. So they might go either to the health department or to a place like Voices or whatever. And they're going to walk in and say, I don't know, my kid's on heroin, we need to get him help, what do we do? In the past, it's probably been they've gotten the opinion of whoever was sitting there in front of them at the time. So that opinion might be, oh, you need abstinence base. you need to go to a 28-day rehab, and you need to do this. Or it might be, oh, you need to go on, you know, a medicated-assisted recovery path, and this is what works, and this is what you do. And the idea of a peer is that someone can say, well, let's talk about it. Let's look at what some of your options are. These are your different options. These are some things you can do. Here's maybe some of the differences. And then let's help you figure out which one of those is going to work. Yeah, in an ideal situation, the person wants treatment and they would get a peer. And then the family would get their own peer Hmm. that's a family peer because they got to get better too. You know, so um, connected to all the family resources, yeah. Al-Anon or whatever. Yes. Yeah. And for us, it's like connect them to Maryland Coalition of Families and it'll connect them to Al-Anon and Naranon, all those things. So, that so there are peers not focus. just for the addicts, but for family members and stuff like that as well. Absolutely. Yes. And it's, I think, life changing for families when they have their own, they have their, you know, they're focusing on them because it's. It, it affects everybody. Oh my gosh, it's traumatic, right? Mm-hmm. As a family member watching somebody you love die or choose to die, or you know, it's super traumatic. But you know, even if your loved one chooses not to be in recovery, you can still get better and learn how to live your life. You know, despite that, it's so important. I don't know how anybody does this stuff alone. I guess the first time I was introduced to a peer system that wasn't even a drug recovery thing I was still active alcoholism when I had my daughter with Down syndrome and I was introduced to the Down syndrome association and so through there I met essentially peers and like 
oh, this is how, I was still a sick person. So, but I mean, this is how, you know, people will support you and get you through. So it got to the point where um, eventually I did find recovery. And um, I'm like, how does anybody do any of this shit alone? Like, you know, uh, whether it's like parenting or recovering from drugs or dealing with a, like a child's disability, like, you know, we, we all need peers. Yeah. I think there is a movement lately for mentorship. Have you guys picked up on that? Like more like in the popular media? Was there, I think there was like a social network for looking for mentors. Did like work mentors it? or? Uh, so it could be any topic, you know, like business, uh, creative pursuits, um, travel. It was, you could find a mentor. What's the name of that website? I Maybe. will look yeah. it up. Oh, your mentor. I, I feel like in the past five years, there has been more of a like a trend towards like go find somebody who's done it already. You Makes know? sense, right? Mm-hmm. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So you kind of briefly glossed over some, but what are some of the roles that peers are being used for? Like you mentioned, I guess, the... Treatment centers, police stations. Yeah, that lots of those places. So it's more than I thought. I was just thinking places like Voices. I didn't think about all those other places. So when I left the health department, I got a job as a peer community coordinator with the administrative service organization of Maryland Medicaid. That's a lot of words there. <laughs> you and, do have um, a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> and as a, as a person who kind of worked for, like, Medicaid, or, you know, part of it, the system, what I was there to do was um, they would identify high-intensity users of the system. That's what they call them. High-intensity, other hospitals and stuff call them frequent flyers, but these were called the high-intensity users of the system. (laughs) (laughs) And so they were going to hospital here and outpatient here and then back to a treatment and over and over. It's like millions of dollars on these few people throughout the state that were just falling through the cracks all over the place and we would try to get a hold of those people and go meet with them and talk with them and be like we want to help you stay connected to what's going to work for you so insurance companies will use peers like that um man there's so many places that use peers there's a a peer network 
that is totally virtual. Um, some of the higher end rehabs would be like as a part of your your treatment stay here, your thirty thousand um, dollars. When you get discharged, we're going to enroll you in this virtual peer thing, and uh, you can just talk to your peer on on phone or, or by virtual meeting. And so you could be a peer that just talks to people on the phone and through the computer all the time, all day. But the peers in the emergency department, you know, sitting with people and just talking with them, uh, it's and in treatment centers. It, it's a little tough because some treatment centers have higher counselors aides or counselors techs, um, and uh, they call you know. But they really want them to be peers, and this is another reason why certification is so good. Because if you're if I'm working for a absence based treatment center, and a person is there doesn't want to be there, it's not working for them. As an employee of that treatment center. I'm supposed to be talking and I'm not leaving and to really accept this, label them as non-compliant or whatever, um, you know. But as a peer, the certification, the the expectations on a peer truly through all our tests and training is that, okay, this doesn't work for you. What do you think will? What And help? let's get you connected to that, whether that treatment center, it, it's that treatment center or not. So see how there's a, a little... Um, they're gonna be a dilemma. Yes. Yeah. So for if I'm a peer working in a methadone clinic and my person's like, I really want to come off, and I'm like, okay, let's go talk to the doctor and see what they say. Is that clinic going to be happy you're doing that? Probably not. But if you're a certified peer, um, you're talking to them about what they want to do, or vice versa. Even it's important that people have that person to turn to, and I think that is what. Um, the state and the system wants us to do is to just because if you don't meet people where they're at they're going to fall through so some of these programs they have a peer that rides around with a cop sometimes um, in certain cities and when they come up to a situation that's nonviolent, that's drug related uh, the peer might talk to them about hey what about treatment or what's going on here and you know, be able to talk to somebody without worrying, am I going to get charges? Am I going to make it worse? Um, and that peer can oftentimes either connect them to treatment or at least help that person engage with law enforcement, kind of be that buffer of, uh, you know, so it doesn't go really south if you have a, a friend there that's just trying to help you walk through it. Um, I'll say when I went to the hospital, and they would have people on the floor. There was a you know, visiting peer at the hospital. And they would have people at the floor that was in different stages of um, illness due to chronic drug or alcohol use. And they would have team meetings and in the morning. And I would sit as the peer, little Jennifer, big Jennifer, and with all these doctors and nurses. And they're talking about these people. And um, when the person had an alcohol problem, they would look at me and be like, and Jennifer, you know, what do you think? Or they wouldn't look at me and I'd be like, excuse me, <laughs> excuse me, doctors. Can I just talk about, you know, did we talk to this person? So I'm representing that person because I didn't get a chance to even go to talk to them and meet them and see what they wanted. But at least they're letting appear in the room to be like, well, hey, did you ever ask them what they wanted? And they're just sometimes they're like, no, we didn't, mm. <laughs> um, you know, or what's the issues at home? That's, you know, it sounds like there might be a reason they don't want to go back. Um, 
so that that's a place where peers would be, you know, as an advocate with somebody who's not there, which sometimes you'll see in in court. Um, when a peer's there in court and the lawyers and the judge and they're talking about this person and the peer can be like, well, have we tried this? And I, I talked to them and, and they said this. And because they, the people in the room respect me as a person in recovery, which I oftentimes will have to remind them, I am a person in recovery, people do change and, you know, um, and they respect me, then me speaking on their behalf, they kind of automatically respect them. Oh, yeah, they're a person too. But sometimes they're like, you know, Jennifer, you're different. Um, <laughs> these people don't want help like you did and like your husband and your friends. These are people mm. which, you know, I've had different organizations. I'm like, no, they're not different. <laughs> Please, you know, give them a chance. So that's a place where peers, there's peers in homeless shelters. Um, I want to say that what I've seen is that the peers who work with substance use and the peers that work with mental health recovery, um, I think any you got to be careful with where you work because some, are gonna, some places don't understand the role of a peer and they will use you as a case manager. They will put you in positions that you shouldn't be in, like trying to counsel and be a clinician. And that sounds like where that training and certification is going to come in. You get that education to know, like, this isn't really my role or this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. But it's so intimidating. Imagine somebody who's new in rec- you know, new to this field. They've been in recovery for, like, five years or whatever. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm in here with the doctors and the counselors. And they're right. at this high-paying rehab facility. <laughs> and then they're asking me to do something that the training told me that I'm not supposed to do. Um, That's a good heads up. It can get messy. Yeah. And that's, you know, so I'm also, if you're looking for a job as a peer, stay away from any organization that um, only has a peer workforce of one, um, because there will become, it's highly likely that you'll experience peer drift, that they will push you in what's called peer drift. So peer drift is when we're drifting out of our role as a peer and into the clinician's role. Mm. When we're talking more about diagnosis and labels than recovery, um, when we're uncomfortable talking about our personal stories and we rather just focus on other people's and use words and, you know, language that is clinical, um, it's it's a tough job to be in, um, for sure, in some locations. So if you're new to it, try to get a job where there's a lot of other peers that can support you in doing peer work, um, for sure. How's the pay? Hey. If you're going to it right now, if you're going to like a state job, a health department job where they have benefits and pension and all that good stuff, it's going to be pretty low. Um, I'm going to say you might get lucky if you're very new at $16 an hour um, up to maybe 18 maybe 19 Now, in the city, you might even get up to 22 or $23 an hour. We advocate very strongly to pay our peers well, so it voices a hope. Um, you can start off, I think it's like 18, and go up to like 22, and then, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for growth if you have some desire to do so, and then it can go up from there. But uh, I think outside of Maryland, it's probably really low. I think the Medicaid reimbursement I heard is really, really low, so... Uh, yeah, not so good. So what are some of the biggest challenges for peers? I guess it sounds like the ethical stuff seems pretty challenging. 
being careful of the jobs that you get, <laughs> what you're being asked to do. I think the biggest challenge is being in recovery. Hmm. That's our biggest challenge. Um, and staying in recovery, right? Isn't that any person's challenge? Yeah, it seems like a challenge to anyone that works in the field, especially. I mean, at least in my time in recovery, like we've seen people, they come in, they get a job at the rehab or the health department or whatever, and somewhere along the way, it's like that becomes their recovery or that's all they're doing for recovery, and then they're not in recovery anymore. <laughs> that's what I've heard over and over. Like, So when I, I ran a well refuge recovery meeting at the big rehab here, and at one time I thought maybe this was a path for me, like working in the recovery field. And that was his, like, so I made friends with one guy that worked there. And he said working there, that, that was the biggest challenge was, yeah, his work, is this what you just said? His work became his recovery path and he started going crazy again and he yeah. felt it. So he had to like re-up going to 12 steps outside, like separate from work. Mm -hmm. And um, that actually scared me a little bit because I'm like, I don't know if I have time for both. So I still don't work like because <laughs> I don't think I have time to, to manage a recovery and work and be mom. I can do this though. I'm here on the podcast. So. <laughs> well, I know I tried to do some of that work in like rehab um, when I had five years and I couldn't do it. It was, it was just like, I was going to work and helping. It was like a, like a program tech helping all those sick people at work. You know, I was really sick at times. I'm still early in recovery and going home and dealing with sickness and going to meetings and hearing sickness. I'm like, yeah. I can't get away from the freaking sickness. <laughs> um, you know, I, I need some earth people in my life, some normal stuff. And uh, so I think with 20 years, <laughs> you know, it was easier. But I think... And everybody's different. I just want to throw that in there. That was just my that's thing. That's a challenge yeah. for everybody. Everybody's different. I think yeah. that it's just more noticeable, maybe, when they're in treatment. Um when we're in treatment, you know, because when we're working at a garage, you know, who's yeah, noticing? people just disappear. Yeah. You don't see them anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. But hmm. I think the biggest challenge is staying in recovery for sure. And then the boundaries, boundaries uh, with the people we serve, with coworkers, because we're not selling shoes. We're like talking about really uh, things that are very important to us as people, our whole new way of life. Um, things that maybe we were drilled into that we had to do for our program and trying to be okay and supportive of somebody doing it another way. Um, getting resentments at work, which spill over into recovery, you know, because we're all in, like recovery community. I think it can be lethal. Making sure that recovery grows as we grow, our application of recovery. Uh, those are some of the biggest risks, I think, yeah, I can imagine that emotional investment's probably difficult too because you are coming in to advocate and, and get involved with people in their lives. And then, you know, I'm an addict, so I know like as addicts, we tend to like, oh, well, then maybe you can do this for me or that for me. Or, you know, we start asking for more and more and more. And then you're pushing someone into some really unethical places like, hey, why don't you come take me to the store on Saturday? <laughs> and, like, and, and what's like, crazy is that a lot of people are doing that already in their personal recovery. They're letting people stay on their couches. They're giving them rides. They're already crossing a lot of boundaries in their own personal recovery. So they think, oh my gosh, doing peers, I'll be paid to do this. And then they get as a peer and we're like, no, you can't do that. You cannot do that. We have resources to do that. You're not allowed to take them home with you. 
you're not allowed to lend them your car or money. And if they've been doing Can't that, watch their and kids. now, <laughs> so then they'll do it behind my back, right? And I'll be like, oh, what are you doing? Or and then they, you know, get robbed or or whatever, um, or worse. It's a so that can be a definite challenge. So I just encourage everybody in recovery: look at your boundaries, y'all. Where are your boundaries at? <laughs> I was always so hopeful. I thought once I could set it and forget it, it's constantly evolving. That, like if I ever speak in a meeting uh, about balance and boundaries, that's like the nemesis. Like that's not the thing I thought I'd be challenging. I thought it'd be like getting over the alcohol craving. No, it's balance and boundaries. That, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the hardest part. Yeah. Yeah. So what type of people do you think make good candidates for peers and is there a personality that does seems to do better? Yeah, I think uh, people who have um, substantial recovery, that's number one, you know. Um, but by the time people get substantial recovery, they're already starting their career. It's so hard to grab them back to a low paying job and say, please come work here. <sighs> so substantial recovery be number one. And then number two is just like a positive attitude. Um, loving people you know uh, open you know kind sincere and compassionate faithful that kind of stuff and people who are really connected to the recovery community whatever your recovery pathway so if you're recovering because you're staying home in your bedroom and you're reading a lot of books not a good peer um if you're you know about the different fellowships and who's doing what and where and how you can connect to that recovery house or or that food pantry uh you know and you're willing to get out there and and know more people for to gather those resources up that's great you know because you can be an ally and be a peer so that's a person who is not in recovery they don't have a family member with a behavioral health disorder but they're just somebody who's passionate about helping um, people in recovery stay, you know, uh, stable and support them. But the thing that we're looking for for allies is that do you know the, the local community? Do you know the resources? If you don't, then it's like, uh, you know, maybe volunteering with the, um, the SPCA would be a better idea, you know. <laughs> so it sounds like connection to local resources and recover the different recovery pathways is really important. Mm -hmm. Um I guess lastly, what would you recommend or say to anyone that gets wants to get started as a peer or is it interested in becoming a peer? How would you recommend they look into it or dip their toe in maybe? Yeah, I, I so go find your local recovery community organization, um, RCO. It could be a wellness and recovery center, like a, on our own, because uh, a lot of areas don't have recovery community organizations. But find them and then friend them on Facebook, see what they're doing, show up to what they're doing. Um, you know, go to an event, see if you can volunteer, feel it out. You know, how, how do you feel doing it? And if you just start showing up and volunteering before you know, it, they're going to be using you for all <laughs> kinds of stuff. And you'll be trust me. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but uh, if you, I would definitely do that. Too often people make this decision they want to be a peer and they just jump in all the classes and pay all the money for the classes and then they're not uh, trying it out um, and connecting to where would you work, you know. Uh, say if in your mind you want to work, you want to be a peer at the lockup, the jail, 
that's your vision because you came from there and you know that you could help there. Um, you, of course, you're not going to be able to really volunteer there. So get to the local uh, recovery community organization or wellness center near there or near where you live and, and volunteer and, and see what's going on. There's definitely a need for you if you've got good recovery. Um, that's what it's about. This was totally interesting. Like, I mean, now I have a bigger picture. Like, I've known about peers and it's like tossed around, but I didn't know like how much work goes into it. It really is worth celebrating when somebody gets certified. And I know we've celebrated around here, but it, you know, it's really worth celebrating. That's quite an accomplishment. And I, you know, like you've done, explained, it's totally necessary. And lastly, but I will say this lastly, because I know we want to do this on a future episode, but if you can kind of briefly tie in how like the stages of change come in and had the role appears and all that like mm. or is yeah. that too big a question <laughs> <laughs> no it's awesome yeah. so i think it is worth another episode of just talking about that um but you know what we have found at voices of hope is getting services together so we're totally peer run we are peer run there's no counselors or lawyers or anything above us in voices of hope and we are 42 people in recovery, family members are allies that are running this show. And so our services and programs are ones that we want, that we think is going to work best. And we have built our services, peer engagement services, around the stages of change model, which is, you know, pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, and maintenance, and um, having peers all along the way. And what is really unique about that is we've been doing this now since 2018 and we are noticing out in the country is that you know either there's harm reduction or there's recovery oriented uh, services they don't come together and meet and voices of hope is both we don't do recovery services without talking about harm reduction and we don't do harm reduction without talking about recovery and um it's so important and it's been so beneficial. They'd say that people who engage with syringe service programs are five times more likely to enter treatment than those who don't. And that's because they're usually, well, I'm going to say for us, it's because we're building relationships with peers, using peers to talk to people who use drugs or people who are still struggling, people who've been there, who understand, who give hope and we're not pressuring people to, to do treatment and go now. Uh, we're, we're just like, how are you? And, you know, I see your wound there. We got a nurse. You want to see the nurse and um, you need, you know, blanket. You know, there's a shelter. If you want to ride, we can get you to a shelter. Um, I used to be there. I lived right over there, you know, behind that store. But I went to treatment and then a recovery house. I'm doing a lot better if you ever want to talk about that. Um you know, we got all the things that you need to do it. But how are you doing today? I missed you here last week. So that's what peers do. We, we build those relationships and the stages of change just seem to naturally, some take longer than others, go from there. That, in, that compassionate, empathetic approach and engagement has a force all its own. And I want to say it's God, his love for people coming through people that you know move people along the stages of change it doesn't always happen but uh, it's definitely been really a miracle to watch and see 
Well, yeah, that was great. Uh, is there anything else you want to add? Is there anything we missed do you think is important? Did we miss Jason? Miss Jason. Uh, did we miss Jason? Yeah. He would have just said a whole lot about the compassionate part of care and how important that is because <laughs> we just talked about that recently. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. Hopefully he's, he's having a good time today. Yeah. Thank you guys for talking about it. Appreciate it. Thank you. If anybody here wants to know more about peer recovery specialist certification or community health worker certification, you can go check out our website at voicesofhopemaryland.org. Uh, we have all kinds of classes you can take. Uh, some, a lot of them are virtual these days. Uh, check it out if you just want to visit. We'd love to have you. Yeah, and a lot of times if you get in early enough, the ones through Voices are free. So you may be able to save some money that way. So, yeah, uh, thank you guys for listening. If you're interested in becoming a peer in your local area, volunteer. Check it out. See what you can do to help, and uh, maybe it'll be your next career path. So thank you. Have a good week. Thank you. Bye. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us.